0: if the man says no need then I guess it's time to start the podcast clothing optional although I read that you have to wear a shirt on twitch because I was seriously considering doing the orc thing today <laughs> <laughs> oh we might need to find like a vest or something for orc yeah well I, I had this shawl that I wore in the uh, movie we made <clears throat> which uh, might be the future Well hello everybody, welcome back to the
1: third installment of the Fun and Interactive Podcast, and if you are watching us live, you may have already noticed that we can see Justin this week. The power of technology. It's a huge upgrade, I know. (laughs) I mean, it immediately makes all of this uh, significantly better, improves the eye candy.
0: Mm. You know, I saw someone on reddit call us the two most handsome legends content creators it's just the beards they are pretty impressive that's the only thing that we can say that we have on
1: cvh is that our beard game is stronger yeah
0: well in about 10 years and some life experience but (laughs) (laughs) a lot of bad decisions (laughs) yeah i mean to his credit he's made better decisions than we have
1: (laughs) yes significantly better decisions than we have but yeah no beard That's right. Alright, so. This week we are going to be talking about some uh, broad but ultimately interesting topics. We're going to talk uh, content speculation and then uh, balance philosophies. And see
0: where that takes us. Should be good. The feedback we've been getting has been really great too. I've enjoyed reading everyone's comments and stuff and reading the chat as these all go on too it's been a lot of fun
1: yeah it's been very encouraging it's the only reason that I'm still coming back to be honest <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I can't 100% uh, speak for Justin but I imagine that he is just like myself and that he literally reads everything even if I don't reply um, I yeah. certainly read everything so, absolutely um, You know, keep it coming if you got ideas they're great if you want to say uh, we suck that's fine too but
0: if you think we suck, send us your address too. We'll talk. Yeah.
1: And the last four of your social security number and. Yep.
0: Good so. times. <laughs> 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 we're off to a rocket start tonight. Yeah. To
1: well, you know.
0: <laughs> we're, we're, we're three
1: episodes deep. It's like the third date, right? Like, this is where they get to know the real us.
0: That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I this guess where it comes out like, yes, Sandra, I did time in prison. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I was lying for the first two episodes just to get in your pants.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: Oh, so. Uh, content speculation. I know we've kind of talked about yeah. it a little bit in the past, um, but we should be due for something soon. And just because we haven't heard anything doesn't necessarily mean that it's not coming. I know that uh, Pete Hines himself has teased that like late September, early October, they'll likely uh, say something. And historically, when you look at Legend stuff, they have not told us very early. Like, I think we found out with like two weeks to spare that Heroes of Skyrim was even a thing. Um, You know, us content creators, we typically get a little bit of a nod ahead of time. But it's not no. much. I, I think people might suspect that we get a much better, like, lead time, and we we do not. So uh, it's like they keep 24 it, hours. yeah, like <laughs> they, or less. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like they they keep it very close to the vest. So the fact that we haven't heard anything is not a shock to me. But the the timing is right. You know, again, we had Madhouse and Chaos Arena in December. And then we had Fall of the Dark Brotherhood in March, Heroes of Skyrim, end of June, and now we are, you know, in September, uh, coming up towards the middle slash end of that, so I would expect to at least hear something soon. Yeah.
0: I agree. And I'm excited. I'm hoping for uh, a smaller thing, you know. But, uh, what do you think we're gonna get, man? I mean...
1: I think, right, so like if I was a betting man, uh, if I was designing the line at Vegas, the safe play or the safe prediction would be a uh, Fall of the Dark Brotherhood style expansion that was story-based and based on Dawnguard.
0: I agree. I totally Um, agree with all that. I think it's the next logical step, and I think that vampires are noticeably absent from Skyrim. And uh, I think that we can even take the uh, reward for the month card the card of the month reward from last month is sort of a hint at uh, vampires on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I think that that's uh legit. I also think that you know, we have seen zero player housing in Elder Scrolls Legends so far and you know, that's absent. So if I can't build a house out of cards, then you know why am I even playing this game? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, dude. That makes sense to me. I think that that's what we need is the Hearthfire expansion, right? Right. I like to be able to adopt children. That, that is why I play these games.
1: I was literally just thinking to myself, like, I really want just Hearthfire. I want to build a house. I want to be able to marry Lydia. And if I can't do those things, then why am I even playing this game? <laughs>
0: It's so funny you mention that, because when I met the guys at Direwolf, one of them asked me what I did when I played Skyrim. I was like, well, I just wander around in adventure. And then he, he asked me, did you build a house and adopt kids? I was like, bro. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like, why would I? And, like, everybody there was like, of course not.
1: Yeah. You know, do I have, like, a shed filled with all the onions that
0: I've ever grabbed from the game? Right. No, I mean... I. I I'll, I'll, I will admit that Sander and I one day spent hours building a fort in Fallout 4, but beyond that, like I really don't get into the uh, building a little private cottage for myself in these games.
1: So true story. I got a buddy of mine who loves to play games the way they were intended to be played, and he legitimately spent more hours than I would even dare to count. Um, yeah. building a castle out of yeah. coins in Skyrim on a table. So, like, you can pick up items and drop them, and he oh, was God. one by one dropping his gold coins and then stacking the coins, and then he basically used them, like, Lincoln Logs or Legos of some sort and built, oh, like, God. a castle out of coins, and he was
0: so yeah. proud when he showed me, and I was just like, why? Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what to say that, man. I watched my, uh... <clears throat> my uncle's stepkids play Minecraft for a couple minutes and um, I wanted to end it all Uh, I was just like you know if this is what kids are doing these days I'm ready I'm I'm ready to check out (laughs) Uh, yeah
1: just a a quick question from chat no my friend is not single at all he is definitely married (laughs) who did that he just he just prides himself in doing those kinds of of weird things And it's interesting what people will do in games that you would never expect. Like, I remember, you know, in my early 20s, I worked at a local comic and gaming shop and the owner was the person, he was the kind of person who um, would never, like, go out of his way to decorate. He wasn't very organized and he certainly wasn't the kind of person that I would have ever picked to actually play an MMORPG, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, he started playing Star Wars Galaxies at the time. And the yeah. only thing he did was decorate his in-game house. Like, you walked nice. into his house and he had, like, Stormtrooper armor all set up and, like... That's uh, amazing. ...crate dragon skulls mounted on the wall. And I was just like, how much time did you spend doing this? And he was like, I've been at this for hours and I have no shame.
0: How, you know how It feels like... It, is it the same person who wants to play the all-premium card deck in Legends?
1: i mean i don't know that that, that, that's me but i oh what it give me some insight into that thought process (laughs) um well it's it's twofold one it's nostalgic because when i used to play magic competitively i used to almost always play decks in standard that i could play all foil um just because it like would kind of tilt my opponents right um it was a mind game thing like if a guy shows up with with all uh you know foil or all premium cards then yeah. they know that this is somebody who's invested a lot of time and they have to like start thinking harder <laughs> and whatever um right. but also in all honesty uh especially it something like legends uh i think that legends has really great art and I, I think agree. that there are some really valid complaints about some of the premiums, but for the most part, especially with the newer cards and so forth, um, it just looks pretty yeah. and I think it's kind of going to waste. Like i have I've been blowing almost all my gems, um, <clears throat> constantly and crafting premiums lately because I think that the artists do a fantastic job and, um, even yeah. more so, like I don't, I don't have like any disillusion that I'm, you know, the the CVHS of the world. But I would like to think that I'm an ambassador of the game, or at least somebody who can promote it. And so, if somebody does wander to my content, um, I want to be able to showcase, you know, uh, the beautiful art, right? So for me, yeah.
0: I, that's why I do the premiums. That makes sense. I, uh... huh. I was I was going to ask, going back to the magic deck thing, if you were the guy who, to get a small, like, competitive edge as far as, like, uh, knowing what you were about to draw, ran, you know, 38 foil spells and creatures and uh, 22 non-foil lands.
1: No, everything was always full foil, so that I never had judges called on that. I was also not the kind of guy okay. that would call a judge on anything. I had one guy... So, like, I used to have... Okay, I, I'm a fidgeter, right? So... Uh, For the people who can watch live, uh, I'm holding a fidget cube even as we speak. And uh, when I would play Magic, I had this nervous thing where um, I would take the side of my library, right? And I would just, like, roll my thumb up the top of the sleeved cards. It was never, like, a full pry-up. There was no way in hell that any reasonable human being would ever expect me to have seen anything because it's a fast rip. And it was just, like, the sensation that I enjoyed. And the sound and... um, and I ran into a guy who every time I did it he called a judge to say that I was trying to peek at cards right nice. like he was one of those guys and it was very satisfying yeah. when I beat him um, right. but you know that's this is the
0: same this is the same guy who gets his pizza delivered to the card store right
1: uh, oh yeah absolutely you know um, <laughs> yeah. you know I will say this I miss uh, one of the things I miss about like magic tournaments in general was for the most part, there were those guys, but for the most part, everybody was very um, kind and like -like sportsmanlike in person. And even if you just lost horribly, like, you know, you could talk amicably after the game. I do miss those interactions. Um, But I don't miss what I really enjoy in terms of like digital card games is not having to call a judge because there is nothing more tilting. Like if you think you tilt playing a digital card game, wait till you tilt because a judge just ruled against you and you know that they got the rules wrong, like flat out. No. Or yeah. like I watched a buddy of mine who, uh, somebody called a judge over and the, his opponent had asked if an elephant token, this was back during odyssey black, if an elephant token counted as a permanent and yeah. the judge said no. And my nice. buddy about flipped a table. I swear to God. Uh-huh. So <laughs> yeah, I, I love that about digital card games that you don't have to worry about calling a judge
0: uh when I was in prison you know we had we had a we had bunches of copies of the rules floating around but um I remember one time playing magic with this dude and uh he played mirror Battlesphere, and uh, it attacks and if if you tap like a certain number of mirror, it does a certain amount of damage like, it says when mirror Battlesphere attacks you may tap x mirror if you do it does x damage or whatever yeah and he was in, but it's not x it's a it's a number it's like four let's say dude uh, attacked with um his mirror battle sphere and uh tapped four mirror triggered the effect and then did it again with four other mirror and i was like bro you can't do that and uh he's like why not i was like well it triggers once when he attacks and um i was trying to explain how the rules worked and then i began to get the sneaking suspicion that this dude was seriously considering attacking me physically <laughs> <laughs> and i realized that at that point that uh First of all, if you know, you can't call a judge obviously in prison. But even if I went and consulted <laughs> the rules, like this was not going to end well in my favor. So yeah. you know what I did? I just lost that game.
1: <laughs> yeah. it turns out uh subsection B, section 42, uh right. rules rules in Magic state guy with knife wins all judge calls, right? Like mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to gain shadow. <laughs>
0: yeah. You, you didn't want to be exiled. Hey, yeah, that was when, that was what's going to happen. So, uh, <laughs> about the, the content that we want to see in the future, right? So we're, we both kind of agree that we want to see a smaller expansion, something smaller than Skyrim, probably not pack-based then, right? Um, do you like the, did you like the follow the Dark Brotherhood, story, the missions, you know, the different wings? Or are you thinking something more like Madhouse style, where you buy the whole thing in one fell swoop? So,
1: all right. So this is going to sound weird, but I kind of hope it's a hybrid. Um, some people and listen, I loved the story stuff and I don't think there's any reason that anybody should want to skip it, but there yeah. were some people that, you know, voiced complaints. And the truth is I honestly can't come up with like a legitimate reason to not just yeah. do it. But there were some people who were like, Hey, you know, I paid for the stuff. Why do I have to complete the missions to get like the cards? Um, mm. and I guess, right. Like, I, don't I, have sure a, I mean, I don't have, like, a valid answer, so I, I guess, in part, I almost hope, like, it's like Madhouse, where, like, once you've purchased it, the cards are available, and then you can do the story yeah. stuff for fun. I'll certainly yeah. still do the story stuff. Of um, course. Now, what's interesting to me is, on the one hand, my first instinct is, like, I want them to do, like, more crazy rules this time around, or more interesting yeah. scenarios. Yeah. However... My initial reaction to that is well, but I only wanted to do it in master difficulty. Yeah. because new players it, now this gets solved in my opinion if the cards are unlocked, right? But if mm-hmm. let's say the cards are still gated and you have to beat it on normal first. Yeah. Um, new players have to have a shot with like subpar collections to be able to, to handle it. so you can't go too crazy with like the normal mode. Um, but if yeah. either the cards are already unlocked or you were talking master difficulty only, um, mm-hmm. I would like to see some stuff where you like really have to tailor a deck to it. And, yeah. uh, cause I just enjoy I puzzles, it. you know?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And it's a cool opportunity to play cards that you wouldn't necessarily play. I think I beat the, in- almost every single mission on the, the, not the master difficulty on the regular difficulty of fall of the dark brotherhood with the same deck. I just mid range crusader through the whole thing. Um, I, I have an idea though. Let me run this past you. Uh, you, you, you lay down your gold or your cash, you get the cards, and then you have story mode with these missions that are a little challenging. You beat the missions, you get uh, premium versions of the cards. What do you think? Um, I think that...
1: I mean, I could get behind that, but you would either have to increase the cost, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one, because you're going to be getting the premiums, and two, like, let's be honest, that at some point we have to consider what I'll call the price of uh, drop inflation, Um, No, I
0: was thinking about that too. I wanted to talk about that as well.
1: um, But also, as an alternative, um, so one of the things, I know that you haven't been playing it, right? But I've picked it back up again since the last big, like, weird rebalance patch, right? One of the things that Gwent recently did is they introduced, like, this new currency, right? So they've got uh, ore, which is, like, their version of gold, they have scraps, which is, like, their version of soul gems but then they introduced meteorite powder, and that is specifically for you take regular cards in your collection and then you upgrade it to premium. So if we don't have a third type of currency that's meant just for strictly upgrading, it would be kind of cool if um, maybe after you beat it on Master or you do whatever, right, like you were talking about, instead of just like you get the premiums, maybe it's like it's a gold sink, maybe to combat that inflation. So it's like, okay, you've beaten this, now you have access to getting the premiums if you drop like another two thousand gold for this wing or you know whatever it is. Um, I like it. Drives down that inflation a little bit, gives some people something else to to push through. Um, mm. I think that
0: that could be a route. Yeah, no, I I think that's a cool idea. And I and I wanted to go back to what you said about uh, gold inflation. I mean that that's a really interesting thing that I was thinking about too, because you know I'm interested in the long term health of the game, and I don't want uh, I mean, it seems to me like it's a losing proposition if everybody who plays can pay gold for the expansion, right? I have to assume that because of the thousands of man-hours that are put into making the expansion, they're going to have to, like, you know, get some cash for it. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, like, uh, you know, are, what what do you think, like, a fair cost is these days? You know, it's I mean, are we paying 50,000 rubles for a loaf of bread here? Like, are we, you know, like, what do we... What do you well, think we should do with the gold situation? So,
1: honestly, I think that it should be addressed in a different way um i think that having the expansion still be purchasable with gold is fine i like having a low barrier of entry for people getting the cards because keeping that minimum like entry is enough to keep people engaged and you don't want to have people feel like they are locked out behind paywall i just really want them to ramp up the uh, cosmetic side of things for, and have that just be like your strict real money. Right. Um, they've kind of dabbled with it with some of the alternate art thing. Like, look, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. When I played magic, I was a sucker for alternate art. Like you give me, um, like the textless premium alternate art magic cards. And I was that dude who was paying ridiculous amounts for them back when I played. It's one of the reasons I got out. Right. Um, but you give me alternate art, you give me, uh, alternate, uh, avatars, right? Like you give me an animated yeah. avatar, right? So yeah. not just a Kajit, but give me like a Kajit that's like doing something cool uh, right. there. You give me like alternate emotes. Like I love the Eternal system where you can pick your emotes and assign them on the wheel. So um, maybe you unlock that feature behind a paywall or maybe they introduce that feature but certain emotes are behind a paywall. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I think that there are a lot of cosmetic things that they can do. Again, custom uh, game boards that would only show up for you, right, but it would be like a... um, uh, Something that I, I really think that that's Where you would potentially monetize because like let's be honest uh, with the mobile Not that this is a, a, only a mobile game, right? But like with the mobile like pay model Most of yeah. your money comes from what they call whales anyway And so those right. are the people that are gonna just drop a bunch of money. Let's be honest. It's probably gonna be me um, for the silly cosmetic stuff. Um, but I think that that's where you can monetize and then still leave, leave your expansions and leave those other things still purchasable with gold and have it be accessible to the people who like want to come for the gameplay
0: experience. You know, I totally agree, man. Like, uh, I've bought every one of the things that has alternate art cards and I love using those alternate art cards. I mean, I think we've, you know, we've discussed before, I don't really care about the the uh, premium art so much. I, I'd rather just feel... Com- I feel comfortable having a stockpile of soul shards and gold. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just instantly soul trap those. But uh, I would, you know, I would love to drop down 5 10 even $15 for uh, alternate art of cards that I really like or a new avatar or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, avatars, I think, could, like, for real be... A yeah. potential thing to monetize like when you think about some of the really iconic characters um oh, yeah. in elder scrolls like if you could get like a sheograph avatar who had like unique <laughs> unique you know voice-lined <laughs> emotes or something that like would be great you know i would drop five or ten bucks on something like that easy and
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been using the same avatar for a year now, so I'm I'm ready for something different and uh, a premium one that you know showed off some aspect of my personality as I you know see it or whatever would be really cool and something might be one to spend some money on. Yeah. Um, now, as far as like the actual cards go, you know, I, one of the things I appreciate about these smaller expansions is that the rarities are. Uh, I feel like this is an opportunity to correct things that might be going directions you don't like or directions you want to change in arena, right? Um, you know, because if, if you're spending a, a set amount of money for a bunch of cards, and some of them are epics and some of them are rares and some of them are legendaries and commons, uh, you know, you can use this as an opportunity to make cards show up more or less often in arena. Um, is there anything in particular you'd like to see at, like, common, let's say, that uh, in an expansion that maybe we could change the direction of arena a little bit?
1: Um, I, th- I would guess something more like maybe not in the same power level but like Thieves Guild Shadowfoot or something that kind of punishes prophecy like specifically yeah. my experience and may- maybe it's just because it's the way that I draft it right but my experience in Arena has been that um, prophecies decide significantly more games in that format than constructed because you can't You can't, like, pack your your deck with, like, guaranteed removal for, like, okay, if they hit this Prophecy, this is how I deal with it, this is how I plan around it. Um, And because of the 30 card size deck, uh, every Prophecy you draft is that much more impactful because you have a higher percent chance of hitting it, right? So, like, if you draft, you know, 10 or 12 Prophecies in Arena, you are in, like, a fantastic position, even if you don't end up with any Legendaries, even if you don't end up with high power cards, just from free tempo, um, I agree. So something that, uh, maybe helps to mitigate that or maybe shift that, uh, direction just to make it feel, I mean, I don't want to say like less RNG cause there's still a lot of skill in arena and like there yeah. are people who routinely do very well, but, um, yeah. just kind of shift that, that pendulum can a little
0: that. bit. I can appreciate that. Anything that punishes the, uh, Aggressive decks running red in Arena is something I'm a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're
1: mostly just feeling it because of Skyrim. Red was not, in my opinion, in a good place with just core to- set. I totally agree. Um, but it's red got... the
0: color I wanted to avoid the most pre-Skyrim. Yeah,
1: but it's got great commons, right? Like, Skyrim yeah. gave it some good commons for Arena. Between the Initiate I and I love Stormcloak Vanguard. Um,
0: mm. Yeah, there's... Stormcloak Vanguard's great in Arena. Yeah that's cool
1: so for content uh something else i always like revisit and it's something that we could also talk about potentially with uh either premium rewards alternate art rewards or whatever but um at what point do you think we'll see or will we ever see a raise in the level cap for like
0: the core story yeah i i've been thinking about this recently actually because I was playing Eternal the other day, and I log well. I logged into Eternal the other day, and I was given like eight thousand gold and a bunch of packs and uh, all sorts of cool stuff because they introduced a leveling up system in that game. And I remembered, you know, how much fun I had had leveling up in Legends. You know, getting that reward, and, and you know, it's maybe it's just my own defective, uh, addictive personality, but like that that incremental gain constantly it was just enough to really, you know, I'd be like, well, I'll play one more game, like I'm gonna level up. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And, so as far as like you know you're talking about the whales hooking people that 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 works on me (laughs) um but i I think it's a lot of fun and it encourages people to play at least it encouraged me to play i'd love to see a level cap increase even if it's just like 60 with like some really long grindy levels um i'd love to see it with the expansion
1: yeah i mean i would like to see it as well because i'm the same way i love seeing the incremental gains um i'd love to see If you don't raise the cap, I would also like to see potentially, like, a prestige system. Like, somebody on my Discord once said that they would really like it if you could re-go through your levels 1 to 50, doing all of the same decisions, right? But every time that you would, like, upgrade a card instead, this time you get the premium version. And maybe it takes, like, twice as long or three times as long to go through, like, the prestige levels or whatever, but... Um, just again to give you that little bit to kind of like work toward that little carrot on a stick Um, yeah i totally agree that'd be cool so another thing content wise that could uh be welcome at least from me potentially would be some more daily quests right one of the things that i think uh, gwent does do very well is their their like daily progression system for their like quests or rewards isn't necessarily right. based on winning a game. It's like based on taking the rounds. And I was thinking yep. about how you could apply something like that to legends. And I'm really surprised uh, that we don't have something that's like break runes.
0: Yeah. Uh, i i I can see that that'd be pretty cool,
1: you know what I mean? Like it could be like the yeah. Nordic quest's there That's their like thing anyway, and it's you know, break yeah. fifteen runes or something.
0: I will say like i I find the the quests like play fifteen pilfer creatures or whatever. I find that to be like a better model than the the Gwent one. I mean, like not necessarily in terms of like ease of collecting my rewards, but because like there are times when. I don't have any ideas for something new and different I want to do. And if I have, let's say I have a quest that's like a quest that involves ward creatures and a quest that involves drawing extra cards. Well, that's like a puzzle that I want to try to unlock to accomplish both those quests at the same time. And maybe I'll end up with a good deck or at least something I like to play. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes like when I, my quest log gets full of like battle mage stuff or whatever, you know, in that case, like I'll hop into uh, solo arena and draft a battle mage deck and play with some cards I didn't get to play with earlier, you know? Yeah. I don't know, I, I, I do like the quest model as it, as it is now.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I will say this about the Gwent one, it does not breed creativity, but I think that the reason nope. uh, that that one turned out the way that it did is just because of the history of that game. When it was in closed beta, um, it was not new player-friendly whatsoever. Like, the early right. levels, if you were just starting out scratch and you didn't put any like money into it during that closed beta were Mm -hmm. painful everything was based on wins and you could not beat people who had collections and they had no real matchmaking and no ranking system when it was in closed beta so like you were just getting hammered so when they made the move to like just take a round it at least made it so that you were like okay like i can just suicide round one and then concede and keep going and at least advance my collection so like i understand it but i just I i just um you know, I mean, we, we, we run into the same thing with Legends, you know, playing, you know, X number of charge creatures, obviously you don't have to win that. So that's already, yeah. like, kind of new player friendly. But the only yeah. reason that made me think about the runes one is because that one's not collection specific either. That's true. right. That's like, true. if I don't have a bunch of pilfer creatures, or maybe I do, but they're just, you know, either subpar, or it's, it's even just, like, not even my style of play, like, let's say. Um, that's, like, one thing, but... Like, runes is universal, and it's already a core part of uh, the game.
0: Yeah, I can appreciate that.
1: So, I know we were uh, talking about it a little bit before, but uh, player housing, you want to see that in the uh, content expansion?
0: Absolutely. So here's my thought on this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's gonna be. It's gonna be like the shout mechanic. Okay, we have a support card that uh, like the quest mechanic in Hearthstone. The uh, support card starts in your hand. It's called uh, Hearthfire or whatever that expansion was called for Scar. And uh, if it's in your deck, it starts in your hands. Unique, legendary. Uh, support card. You play it right, and then you have these like shout-like cards. Except it's like chair level one, right? You play chair level one, and it's a zero one with no abilities. You play chair level two, right? So the second time you draw a chair, it's a uh, it's a zero two with with no abilities that does nothing and doesn't help you play the game at all. And then you have chair level three. Okay, you get this. This time the chair is premium. It's a zero, it's a zero three that that does nothing and doesn't help you play the game see
1: I was thinking right that you would introduce a number of support cards and you would mm-hmm. have one that was like foundation right yeah. and then you can oh. only play walls after you've played foundation and then you play <laughs> then you play fireplace after you have walls yeah. and then roof and then right. once you have a uh, foundation walls fireplace and roof you just automatically <clears throat> win the game if you can get all four supports played in the <laughs> proper order, Right, and taking up all slots without being destroyed—that's your alternate win condition because you have now created a home uh, that nobody can take from you.
0: So it's Uh, both player housing and yeah, alternate win condition.
1: Yeah, it's
0: genius. Uh, I do worry, though. I mean, like, I feel like after um, *Fall of the Dark Brotherhood* came out and uh, people were searching for, uh, uh, googling um, *Elder Scrolls Legends*, uh, little girl, right? We already (laughs) we already started drifting into dangerous territory. If we incorporate the whole Hearthfire uh, expansion thing and we now are adopting children and and we're Googling like uh, um, Elder Scrolls Legends, build a house, put kids in it, right? I think we might actually attract a little more attention to the gaming community than we'd like to. That's my concern.
1: Hey, there's no such thing as bad PR. And even if it's Uh from like Chris Hansen, I think that that's (laughs) good. Why don't don't you take up a seat over here, (laughs) (laughs) Charlie? That's fine. Yeah right, um, yeah. I mean, obviously we can't do like player housing in the game, but it's funny. I think it's fun to joke about or things
0: like that. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'd really like to see, to be honest with you, is uh, is just more multicolor cards. Like I love multicolor cards. Uh, you know, I love them in Magic. I I love them in Eternal. I just for some reason they like the. Maybe it's the increased rarity of them or the fact that you can only put them in one deck instead of like, you know, five different color combinations. I just want to see more multicolor cards. That's, that's really what I'm dreaming about. <laughs> if we're still in Skyrim, by the way, you know what i really like to see is multicolored shouts. I'd like to see 10 new shouts. I
1: could, I could dig that. What do you think about, and I don't even know how they would design it from like a visual standpoint, right? But. You know, we both have experience playing uh, Magic. What about,
0: like, split cards? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, it would require some, you know, new tech in the UI, right? Um, but that would be interesting. You know, the way that, uh, speaking of the UI, the way it's designed right now, because you can pull up the uh, discard pile like you can, I have to imagine it would be possible to print a creature, let's say, that said, uh, you know, like a, like a 2 a 1-1. One one. With no abilities except, you may play this from your discard pile. I'd love to see something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about that last week, or if not, I know I've talked about it with you before, but um, mm. one of my favorite decks that I used to play was Buried Alive, right? And so I keep saying, yeah. like, I want to see Ash and Ghoul. So, or, mm. or something like that, where it's it comes out of the grave. It's not necessarily, like, overtly powerful, but it's just that nuisance that keeps coming back, and it kind of is uh, like a control deck's win condition in many ways. Um, yeah, I agree. Or, like, Undead I mean, Gladiator was another card I was always a big fan of in Magic.
0: I mean, if I had the opportunity to run 47 removal spells and a uh, creature that I could recur infinitely, like, I'd probably try to play that deck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, chat actually brings up a good point. We have the possibility for split cards already because of, like, Barbus and Moment of Clarity.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there um, is definitely that.
1: So, like, Barbus would be a good good spot... Uh, another like in the same vein of split cards, I think it'd be interesting if we saw like class cards that let you potentially bend the rules based on uh, attribute identity. So hear me out, right? Um, let's say we have like a uh, like a battle mage card. Let's say right now, silence is something that so far in the game that's traditionally just been in strength and endurance. But let's say we have a battle mage card, and it actually has two costs on it, right? And it does something and has a silence effect. And the lower cost is if you play it in a battle mage deck, and the higher cost is if you play it in any deck that can contain intelligence or strength, but not both, right? So like you get a discount if it's for your class, but it would be like an additional tool outside if you were going crossways.
0: That is interesting. I mean, I you know the question always has to be, like, is the additional complexity worth it? In this case, I think that if it's something they would do a lot of going forward, I can see that being, like, a fundamentally cool part of the game. It would yeah. make draft more interesting, too, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to ask yourself, the, the payoff there is, like, is it better than just printing that card in neutral? You know? Right. Um, and then, or, or maybe that's it. Maybe it's a cycle in neutral cards, but then you get a discount if it's... Uh, like class specific or something, right? Like you, it's a neutral card, but you know, if you are playing as a battle mage, it costs two less or something. I just like that idea of like classes get their tools, but everyone else gets it uh, at a higher price. Like maybe, maybe it's a cycle of like creatures that are mercenaries, right? Like they charge more.
0: Yeah. That's exactly where I was, what I was thinking, man. Like a, like a three magic and neutral creature. It's a two, two, just making up numbers here. Cost one less if you have if you control a blue creature. Cost one less if you control a red creature. Right, so yeah. you know you get a two two a one magic a two two if you're in battle mage. Let's say. Yeah, I could see fun stuff like that. I like it. I think you got to be careful, of course. Like, and, and magic sort of encountered this with hybrid cards with like uh, bleeding color identity, you know, like a. Uh, a hybrid blue white card in magic should be able should be able to do things only that blue and white can both do not things that blue or white can do you know
1: should be but then
0: <laughs> i used i chose blue white specifically because there's a couple of the worst defenders in that color combination yeah yeah
1: no they're they're pretty bad like i honestly felt like the the color in magic that always stayed truest to their identity was always black like black just couldn't blow up enchantments to save its life and it, you know it had some things that it like just couldn't do uh, Blue yep. light can do whatever it wants. Like they are easily right. the worst.
0: Yeah. All right, man. So small expansion cards that uh, introduce new elements to arena, um, story mode that you can play for additional benefit. Uh, I like what we come up with here. This is some pretty cool stuff. I, I'm just gonna say again. I've been saying this since the Skyrim uh, expansion was released. I really, 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 really want some some dual colored shouts. <laughs> that's it that's that's the end of my wish list (laughs) what would you feel about like a neutral show i mean i dig it but like i feel like the problem with neutral cards is like if it's good enough to be run like you might run it in every deck and i would prefer that the meta be as diverse as possible like uh when all those creatures had three toughness instead of two, like, weren't we all running Crushing Blow? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I remember saying for a long time that Crushing Blow is the best card in the game. And, uh, I, I mean, it wasn't. But, like, it was good enough to be in every deck, I think, for a while.
1: I mean, I, I, I ran it in Spellsword Tokens, like, yeah. right ra- 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 out of uh, open beta, just because, it one, Spellsword Tokens had no reach, but, two, like, it was right.
0: mandatory to deal with werebats at the time. Yeah, Exactly. Um, I don't really want to have that kind of thing happen. I I mean, I guess I would feel, I feel, I believe that neutral cards are probably the hardest to design, right? I mean, you have Dwemer as like a tribal thing and you keep that in check by just never printing Dwemer that are good enough for constructed. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm hesitant on the neutral shot because I feel like you'd either make something pretty awful that would be, you know, just a Timmy, Johnny type thing. Or, um something that's so good it's in every deck and i i I want to avoid that if possible
1: see i i already know what the answer for me would be right but you know you said that you think neutral cards are the hardest to design and i would 100 percent agree with that so my question to you would be uh what do you think is the best designed
0: neutral card so far Mm, that's a good question uh i got a couple if you don't mind me just naming a couple how dare you I know. I, well, speaking of uh, breaking the rules a little bit, uh, I uh, I think Orb of Vermina and uh, Ultra of Despair are perfect. I think those yeah. are perfect cards. Actually, Altered. I'd like Ultra to cost less, but <laughs> that's yeah. just a personal preference. No, Ultra to me
1: was absolutely, in my opinion, like the best of the designed ones because it's the sort of thing that um, yeah. it's not good enough that it's played in every archetype, but it right. definitely excels when you do play it and build around it. And yep. each class, for the most part, kind of feels different when you do play alter decks, right? They have different right. outcomes. Um, right. Yeah, I think alter like is the ideal. Like you hit the nail on the head. Like great neutral card yep. from a
0: design standpoint. I like orb, I mean, but yeah, orb could be orb could be an intelligence willpower card. I mean, it could be a mage card, and it would fit totally perfectly into those colors. Uh, orb uh, altered is sort of unique you know i like ultra like that
1: what do you think so interesting thought just on orb here real quick um one of the things that has kept like ramp spell sword slash control spell sword down when compared to like scout and even the more recent like rage warrior ramp variants is that yeah. it doesn't have the card draw like specifically right. scout like scout just outdraws right. spell sword in its sleep yeah yeah what do you think about orb in those matchups right like if you're playing Spell Sword like ramp slash control you're probably yep. trying to target scout anyway yeah I but think like it's great nobody, nobody runs orb in those lists
0: a lot of those scout decks don't run the full three shadowfin priest anymore either which is kind of like why you would avoid running orb in, <laughs> against purple decks but orb's great I mean I used to run orb in Mid Range crusader to beat the back when control mage was all over the place to beat control mage orb's great I think it's a pretty underplayed card, but I don't think this meta is particularly friendly to it. No, no, uh, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, Beginning in of the month, maybe. Yeah, I th- in certain situations, I think you can put it in. Uh, certain metas, I think you can put it in a lot of decks and get quite a bit of benefit from it. It's definitely a Mirror Breaker type card, right? Like Control Mage versus Control Mage. Like, oops, I drew my Orb of Armina and played it on turn five. Like, Looks like I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Orb of Remina is a cool card. Um, and a card that's, that reminds me of it that is, that I wish I had more opportunities to play is Rift and Pickpocket. You know, uh, Choosing the card from my opponent's deck is a lot of fun. And given the types of decks I usually play, the cards on my opponent's deck is, are usually better than the ones I'm running. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll take every chance I get to win. So we've kind of almost unofficially
1: shifted because our second topic was going to be like balance philosophies anyway but before we take yeah. the official shift i guess the last yeah. question that i would pose would be you know regarding new content um do you think that it's necessary to print cards that counter specific art types or not and you know if so are there certain ones that you would want to see right like do you think that instead you should just print like cards that facilitate new art types to work or do you think that there should be cards that counter specific art types, or a mix of both? Right. Cause I think that's, those are different ends of balance philosophy, but they also relate to like new content. So I think that's a
0: good bridge yeah. question. That is a good question. I mean, and it, it sort of segues perfectly into one of the biggest balance questions of all time, right? Which is like, uh, well let, let me rephrase this because I don't want it to be too hyperbolic here um I think that hate cards in magic are a wonderful thing in moderation because there's the sideboard right in the event that like you find like let's say there's circle of protection scout <laughs> like a support yeah. card printed that lets you activate it to neutralize a scout card right because there's no sideboard in this game and there's it's one game win unless you're in a tournament when you're on the ladder I mean though uh, in the event that that card ever becomes good enough to ever be played on the ladder like your game is totally broken <laughs> now you can have niche kind of cards like for instance Earthbone Spinner is amazing against, in my opinion, uh, is an amazing card to run in a meta full of, let's say, Breton Conjurer, right? And if Breton Conjurer is in a lot of decks that uh, people are playing, Earthbone Spinner is a reasonable card to run already. But if that's what the meta is, you want to run the full three Earthbone Spinner's. So I think that the... And I'm sure it's incredibly difficult to do this. The catch is making sure that there are these safety valve cards, right? Like, so that Earthbone Spinner exists so that, like, you can counter a potential Breton Conjurer meta. Um, Making sure that cards like that exist to counter potentially dangerous things that could overwhelm the meta. Um, But I wouldn't even know where to begin to design cards that specifically. I, I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, I go back and forth, right? Like...
1: On the one hand, I love, I love cards that facilitate new archetypes. You know, I think that's the reason that you and I both have the love for Madhouse Collection the way that we do. Um, I also recognize the need to have cards to keep things in check, right? Like, imagine a world that, you know, like, Lightning Bolt didn't exist and what, you know, Quinral Burglar would do. Um... That's a good point. You know, so, like, you need some things to keep things in check, um... But like my biggest concern is, you know, the proliferation of the quote-unquote check cards, and then what they suppress. And so I think lightning bolt's the perfect example. You know how many yeah. cards don't see play because, you know, up until right. recently, lightning bolt was everywhere. It's actually the most friendly time I think in the history right. of the game to play right. cards that died a lightning bolt. Um, Break
0: out your Marcarth Manor. Man. I was just gonna say if if there was
1: ever. <laughs> If there was ever a time to play Markarth Bannerman, like, right now is it, as far as I'm concerned. Because uh, there's not a ton of Javelin. Like, Control Mage is already a bad matchup for decks that probably want to run that anyway. But other than that, um, like, it's Imprison that you're really worried about. Or Silences. I mean, Silence is still an issue. Um, You know, the old Cursed Leaf Lurker combo, things like that. But there's not
0: a lot of Lightning Bolts on the ladder right now. Um, I agree. Which is actually unfortunate because (laughs) Sandra and I have been talking about, uh, you know the live song, Lightning Crashes? The next time I catch myself on film getting killed by Prophecy Lightning Boil, prepare (laughs) yourselves for an incredible musical experience. But um, I think that uh, the the closest example we have to a really targeted specific hate card um, that sees some amount of play is Garnag, right? Yeah, he's sort of an outlier in terms of like what he does, uh, and how specifically he counteracts a very a specific thing. But I think Garnag works because first of all, he's a unique legendary, so he's not hugely impactful. But you know, like let's say your deck has a forty percent win rate against ramp decks, right? And Garnag by adding it in there and the a chance of drawing it and it, hitting play at the right time, your deck has a forty-two percent win chance with Garnag in it. Like, awesome! I'm fine with this. But um, I think the reason Garnag's an acceptable type of uh, silver bullet type thing is because it, it's potentially useful against everything. Like, you know, let's say the deck you're running goes a little long, it works out. Now, obviously, it's incredible against a couple different types of decks, the ramp decks. But I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Garnag's just a perfectly done card, and it's really hard to replicate cards. I think that 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 well done, I think.
1: yeah. You know, I think during our last episode, I'd kind of toyed with the idea of like, what, what, what would it be like if there was a card that existed that was like just a three-three-for-three three, three that said if my opponent had more max magica than I, um, reduce it yeah. by one, right? So it's basically only yeah. targeting ramp, and then it's just a three-three-for-three three, three and not in those matchups. Um, yeah. I think that that's again potentially like the idea of a good like niche card because you're not wanting to run it in yep. every scenario certainly yeah. it's like a sideboard style card we'll segue fully into you know balance philosophies and i have a lot of you know things that i want to talk about there but for me i guess right off the bat um how do you think it would change uh design philosophies if a specific tournament format were adopted because, like right now, everything's up in the air. But let's say we, yeah. you know, say tomorrow, you know, the official sanctioned tournaments do run sideboards. Do you yeah. do you think we start seeing more cards printed that are sideboard specific, or do you think not? And then we just have to figure it out. Or if they say, if yeah. they say, hey, we're never gonna do sideboards, how does that change right. things?
0: Um. So it, I personally, I I gotta just. Dis- as a disclaimer, say that I, I prefer the idea of having sideboards. Uh, I, I like that idea a lot. Um, I think that, you know, that gives you in games two and or three, uh, an opportunity to show off, you, you know, a, a set of skills that is not the same as just like bringing four great decks that, you know, like deck, deck rock beats, paper, deck scissors. So I'm bringing a rock, paper and a scissors deck. I'm just going to hope to get lucky in terms of which one I draw against two. Um, I think the sideboard gives you a lot of flexibility and creativity, right? Like, it could be that, like, let's say I'm just pulling the deck out of my ass. Let's say Monk Tokens is the best deck in the format. Uh, in a tournament setting where you have this options for sideboards, all of a sudden, like, you have this incredible opportunity to play all sorts of really cool cards that show that you have a, a little bit of deck building skill and it gives you some opportunity to be creative. Um, I totally support sideboards as a tournament format i think it would also do a good job of attracting more magic players and uh differentiating the potential competitive scene from the hearthstone one so let's see it's interesting you say that because i'll i'll play the devil's
1: advocate right i think that there are a lot of potential cons with the sideboard format right so the first thing that jumps out to me at least right now and this is why i asked the question um right now you can tell that there's not cards that are designed with sideboards in mind and i think yeah. that in most and not every case right but in most of the sideboard uh, tournaments i've seen there's been a very high number of mages played i'm not saying that's the right yeah. path i'm not saying that it's the only class i'm just saying that it's yeah. easily the most flexible of classes and as such it's very popular Um, Because of this, like, design philosophy and design choice when it comes to balance, right? So, to me, um, unless they made a change and they printed more sideboard targeted or specific uh, cards, um, it might make the tournament uh, experience, both playing in and viewing, uh, not as fun because you're going to be staring at the same things over and over again. Now, there is going to be fun in terms of, like, okay... If I'm playing mage and my opponent's playing mage, is he gonna sideboard in the aggressive package or the control package and there's that like like mm-hmm. mental joust, if you will? But for the most part, you're gonna see a lot of the same thing in that scenario. Whereas yeah, if you point. if you do something like, you know, Last Hero Standing or Conquest or whatever, uh yeah, you're likely to see the same three or four decks every time, but at least you're seeing some variety. Um, yeah, the other thing uh, that I would say is a potential con is exactly what you alluded to before we made the official transition, which is, you know, heavens help us if we ever have like circle of protection scout. You know, I know that's absurd, right? But like, heaven help right. us if we ever have something like that. Uh, yeah. Just because I think that that, at least in my experience, cards like that used to create the most unfun experiences for me. Period in Magic, right? Where of you course, knew. Of You knew that once somebody went to their sideboard, they were going to play like pithing needle, for example, and just shut down my deck. It's like literally they raced to draw the one card and, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I can see both points. And, you know, when you mentioned the viewer experience, that's what I started thinking about, right? Like, uh, that's when I started to maybe change my opinion. Um, because it's, I was looking at the sideboard thing as an opportunity as a guy who loves to build decks. Right. And uh, you're right that it may end up making the uh, ubiquity of certain types of decks uh, that much worse. And then therefore create a worse viewing experience. Uh, I was the class that came to my mind immediately too, as the class that I would uh, probably be able to transform from one type of deck to another with 15 cards. If I, if we're just going with magic numbers. Right. Um, I think that you could do that with a couple others, too. I think you could uh, do similar things with... Uh, I think with Archer, with 15 cards difference, you could transform from an aggressive deck to a rage deck pretty easily, which would pretty drastically change your matchups. I think you could go from aggressive to even, like, a market deck as well.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Like, I could play charger in almost the same shell that I play uh, uh-huh. Swindler's Market. But again, it's one of those, like, even though you could do those things... Um, You know, if there's, you know, one or two classes that are just more flexible than others. Right. uh, Again, right or wrong. I'm not saying that it's the right choice. I'm not saying it's the most powerful choice. It's just the one that would be played most often. And so, uh, you know, Battle Mage might be amazing, right? But if people are like, you know, either play like a mid-range that transforms into Merrick or like a mid-range that transforms into Prophecy and it turns people off because maybe they don't like one style or the other. So then they're like, okay, I either play Archer or Mage. You know, battle mage might be the best deck to choose it might be the strongest deck to choose but you're still going to have like 70% of the fields playing the same decks and so it's that you know that again viewer experience and potentially participation experience that is on the line if they don't have more sideboard targeted cards so again that's kind of why I asked the question right like from a design standpoint you know how much does it change things once we have like officially sanctioned tournament formats because we don't have that right now. Everything's
0: kind of in the air. That's a good point. I will say that I believe the future of the competitive scene involves something that does not involve sideboards. Um, And I don't want sideboard type cards, specifically targeted hate cards, to be printed. Um, That's not what I want. Uh, I just enjoy deck building and the creativity that a sideboard potentially represents, but I understand that I'm sort of in the minority there. I
1: mean, I... I love it too. It used to be one of my favorite things. Like back, yeah. back in standard when like when Mirrodin was first standard, and it was before all the Affinity uh, nurse. I went to a regional tournament and I was like, you know what? I want to play something not Affinity that just hammers Affinity and has like a fifty-fifty shot at everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was playing uh, twelve post tooth and nail before <laughs> like that was the broken deck. So, like, I was playing the next broken deck before it, and my sideboard was legitimately just, like, 15 artifact hate cards. Right? So, nice. against Affinity, I would lose round one and guarantee, like, win rounds two and three, and against everything else, it was a race to get my combo off. And I just enjoyed right. that, because, like, that was...
0: <laughs> I understand, dude. I understand. All right. Um, Design philosophy is an interesting topic, man. You know, I think one of the things we mentioned when we were talking about this was... uh. The ba- you know, balanced uh, changes and stuff like that is buffing cards. I was curious what, uh, how you wanted to get into that discussion.
1: Well, um, I mean, I think that it pairs naturally with the idea of, of power creep, right? Like, on the one yeah. hand, nerfs are never fun. Nobody likes their favorite card to, to get uh, the nerf hammer, you know? Right. The nerf bat. So, yeah. You know, one of the things commonly talked about is like, okay, well, why is it always got to be nerfed. Why can't we buff some underplay cards? Um, but, you know, how does that affect power creep in many ways? Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, there are plenty of cards that did get buffs and immediately went from, you know, almost never saw to, uh, I'm not going to say like ubiquitous, but they're certainly seen far more frequently. Like, I think Immortal Gatekeeper, what a night and day difference yeah. just giving that card Prophecy did, you know?
0: that is the poster child for that effect. Yeah, um I uh I'm a big fan of well, I think we've t- discussed in the past like I'm a big fan of like constant like regular balance changes, not necessarily to balance anything so much as just to change the balance of things as they currently are. Um but like I think you know this leads to something we were talking about which is the necessity of bad cards right like does gerald forager need to exist right if gerald forager had a last gasp ability like anything right like <laughs> a- <laughs> any last gasp ability at all even if it's last gasp emote um would that change anything like are do we are cards like that necessary
1: i i mean that's one of the i think most polarizing design topics about digital card games period and i always find it interesting because i can truly see both sides of the coin but like i i personally err on the idea of one yes there has to be bad cards and two it's inevitable because it's impossible to have everything be equally balanced at some point if you have enough of a player base and enough people passionate enough about the game people will find whatever has that 2% better chance to win and that will just become the meta, right? Like, I think that's unavoidable. But also, you know, when it comes to bad cards, there are things that I think people oftentimes don't take into account, like, you know, how often does something show up in Arena? Um, You and I talked about this uh, before the podcast, but how often does it affect the balance of other cards? You know, we we live in an age where, especially with digital card games, there are randomized effects. And so Mm -hmm. cards like Merrick are, in many ways, almost balanced because Maple Shield exists. I'm not saying that, like, that balances Merrick, but there's that idea of, like, you know, it's in the pool, and so it's not, like, a guaranteed Merrick is going to give you Dwarven Armaments every time. Um, I mean,
0: it it does if you're playing against me, but I
1: see the point. Um, So, like, bad cards have to exist for, like, a couple of different reasons, but, you know, there's also... Manpower, right? If you were really going to be revisiting every card that you've ever printed, like every time because it's just not represented enough, you know, percentage wise, and you're still planning on printing new cards, but you're always revisiting, like, I can't imagine the amount of work and time that would go into that. Like, I don't want my developers working on that, you know? That's true. Um, That's a good point. So, to me, I think that, like, bad cards are a necessity and, you know, like I said, an inevitability. Now, I understand the people who say things like, why do we have to have bad cards? It's a digital card game. We can always update things. And I mean, they're right. That's like one of the benefits of the medium. But, you know, it's what do you want your time spent on? Like, I'd rather have it spent on like new and fresh content um, and just understanding that there will always be bad cards. Like, no matter how good something is, there will always likely be something better. And if there isn't, then that's the card that's getting played. Like, period. Like, that's just the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I... uh, You know, my preference for rebalancing everything all the time aside, I think that... uh, I'm sorry. I'm having trouble with my internet. Give me one second. Yeah, I noticed. It's okay.
1: I just assumed you were being hit with Hurricane Sandra.
0: Ha 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 ha. I, I will say, though, that the Hurricane Sandy joke gets thrown around here a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I I would believe it. Okay, I think we're better now. Okay, so um I kind of want I I err on the riskier side I guess of disrupting the meta. Uh, I'd love to see uh you know surprise September where 12 cards that aren't seeing any play get a small change. Um but that's just sort of because I love playing the game and I love new stuff. Uh as far as like the ideal Balanced philosophy goes. I think that you know, you you just look at the bigger picture. Is something winning, you know, more than sixty percent of all of its games in the hands of players who are not super enfranchised? I mean, you know, because like you know, like when we started tracking our win rates, right? Like, like we were talking about before the show. I've got like a sixty-six percent win rate or whatever with Unstoppable Age Ramp Warrior with Knight Shadow or (laughs) with Knight Talonlord in it, right? Which I'm not going to say is a great deck, but like I also play a lot of legends right so i think when you look at the win rates for people who don't have a lot of experience playing the game or don't play that much and something gets out of hand like then you need to step in and make a difference i'd love to see more reactions to unbalanced metas being buffing cards but it also makes sense to me that like if you're going to surgically change the meta uh to create more balance or the illusion of balance like we've talked about before it's probably simpler to excise the tumor and not uh, introduce other competing tumors. (laughs) Sure. Well, so I want to circle back to, you know,
1: one of the things I was talking about at the beginning, which is, you know, if you are a proponent for, you know, like you said, Surprise September, right? Like, we just take 12 cards and we shake things up, which I'm not necessarily against, but what would be, like, concerns power creep-wise from that, right? Like, again, if we go back to the idea of, like, buffing cards... Um, you know, at what point does power creep become a concern, you know, just yeah. in general with all card games, not even specifically legends, but if you're making that many changes and it's, you know, that regularly.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think power creep as, as honestly, I believe that like, as far as power creep goes, Heroes a Skyrim is not a huge offender as far as like things you've seen before in other games. But I think it's part of the reason the meta feels and maybe actually is less diverse than it was beforehand, despite the addition of cards to the card pool. Because, you know, instead of running, like, and I mentioned this before, instead of running 30 optimal cards and 20 cards that you would, that, like, you're running because there's nothing better to run. Uh, You know, those 20 cards where you're expressing your ideas about the deck a little bit more, and there's the 30 base cards. The addition of Heroes of Skyrim gave you the opportunity, thanks to some small power creep across the board, to run 45 optimal cards, right? Which results in less diversity because there are fewer cards that you're going to consider taking out because they don't perform optimally. Um, and after thinking about it for the last week, since we did our last show, I've come to the conclusion that like, this sort of thing has to just be inevitable, right? Like, it's it, the only option to... I feel like the only way to stop this from happening is to just limit your card pool to your current set only, which would, of course, result in drastically different metas every time a set came out. Um, you know, as the standards of Season of Magic progresses, for instance, uh, the decks become more refined, and I think diversity drops, because you can run the optimal number of cards all the time. This is why Legacy and Magic and Vintage and Magic are like two decks that you really should be playing, like workshops and mentor decks. And then like 12 decks that are full of that, you know, tier two type stuff that people play because they're having fun.
1: So, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the idea of like keeping things self-contained to a single set. And, you know, the standard rotation for magic for you know, many, many years was, you know, whatever the core set was, and then, you know, X number of expansions. Um, How would you feel if Legends adopted something like that, where, like, every year you had a core set, and it might contain, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, Magic's core set would contain either stuff from the original core of Magic, but every year when they, like, redid that year's version of core set they would sometimes include stuff from other sets or just print brand new things, right? So, like, year two of Legends core set, for example, might contain, like, half of the cards from the original core set, some hand-picked stuff maybe from, like, Skyrim or Dark Brotherhood, and then maybe, like, you know, the last 25% are just all brand new. But, like, there would be, like, a core set for each year, and then we would maybe get, like, one or two you know story expansions and maybe like one skyrim sized and then like that's just your yearly rotation would you be in favor of something like that because enough of your cards would potentially roll over from previous stuff that you think it would keep because i know a lot of players you know they have that sunk cost fallacy concern where they're like you know i don't want to invest in a game if i can't keep using my cards um and you know whether that's like real or sunk cost fallacy or not it doesn't matter like that's people's perception so you have to take that into account um, do you right. think that that would still be, like, doable? Would you be okay with that and then keeping things, like, contained?
0: Yeah. Um, I think, optimally, you... when Whenever, like, the carpool reaches whatever bloated size, they decide is enough, and I, I don't have data or the experience to know when that is. Um, and I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Oh, yet. no, I
1: mean, we're nowhere near it right
0: now. Right, but, like, when that happens, I think you just create uh you you do something similar to what hearthstone and magic and a lot of other games have done in the past which is where you just have a format where you can play all your cards and uh things get progressively more broken (laughs) but like that's the appeal and then you have the 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 current stuff and uh that would be the place where you're playing the the 30 optimal cards and the 20 suboptimal cards and you're gonna have a much more diverse meta potentially as a result I understand that it's more complicated than that, but that's honestly what I what the conclusion I've drawn is, is that uh, you uh, th- increase the size of card pool results in decreased diversity.
1: You know, it's interesting thinking about, you know, Hearthstone has a number of expansions and they still only have like the two formats, right? Like they just have wild and whatever their standard is. Um, you know, magic's obviously been around for decades, but has like a laundry list of formats, you know, do you think that digital card games will ever hit that point where there are a number of formats
0: like that large, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know, you know, if, if elder scrolls legends lasts 10 years, I'll be ecstatic if it lasts two years. I'll be ecstatic if it lasts fifty years. I'll be ecstatic because I've enjoyed every moment that I had playing it, and I'm not, you know. I'll miss it when it's gone if it ever leaves. But I just don't know. It's hard to say. I think if you had asked me twenty years ago, "Is Magic going to be around in five years?" I'd have said no, right? Because the truth is, is that most of those that type of game that were, you know, launched with. Uh, around the same time as magic slightly afterwards are gone right like the star trek card game the star wars card game um legend of the five rings netrunner all that stuff is gone Uh, and uh is still around is it really and i catch people playing like legends
1: of uh the five rings but yeah i mean like decipher star wars is gone god decipher Mm -hmm. what a what a company that like I don't mean to tangent here, but like Decipher had some of the best design ideas for any card game company ever between that game and their Lord of the Rings game. And they just sucked at business.
0: Like that makes me so sad. You know, I got a funny story about them actually. So I didn't, uh, when I was like, I want to say like 10, 11 or 12, that start Decipher released a Star Trek card game. And, um, I was a huge Star Trek fan. Um, My parents – because this is right before I started using, so I was still at home being a good kid. Um, And my parents and I would watch Star Trek The Next Generation like every Thursday night I think it was as a family at 10 o'clock. And so when the Star Trek game came out, they bought me some cards. And they – their website then offered a competition where like if you wrote something and they thought it was interesting, they put it on their website and then send you a box of cards, right? and little 11-year-old Justin wrote a uh, a top 10 list cuz I was a big David Letterman fan at the time. I wrote a top 10 list making fun of Star Trek and making fun of the show or uh, making fun of the card game and stuff. Sent it off and I actually won and they mailed me a box of cards. Nice. Yeah. I
1: So I have like two things that always stand out to me about Decipher just in general. One, back when like Decipher Star Wars was a big thing and Jedi yeah. training and like that's the that's the game that taught me how to count cards, was playing Jedi Training decks, uh-huh. um, because it was, like, integral to actually doing it properly, so, like, I, I learned how to count cards, like, in yeah. a deck and, and whatever, because of that. Um, but I remember I had a buddy who legitimately flipped a table, like, not metaphorically, but legitimately flipped a table, because he was playing Jedi Training, and I was playing this Bounty Hunter deck, and he... Mm-hmm. He he was playing, like, his meme version, though, right? Instead of training Luke and trying to do the competitive thing, he was trying to Jedi train one of the unique Jawas. And he okay. finally got it to work against me, right? He got yeah. his Jawa, he came to hunt me down, and I used a Johto Cast to trap him and feed him to the Rancor, and he was so <laughs> upset. Like, oh, God. It's like the fiery rage. It was the first time he'd actually got it off. Uh, I thought That's we were going to get a fist fight, um, But then the other thing that stands out, so, like, I... When I started to, like, really play card games, like, competitively, um, mm-hmm. and not even just, like, Magic, but just in general, like, real true competition, uh, the, yeah. it was uh, the Lord of the Rings Decipher card game. Um, like, okay. I, I traveled to Gen Con that year to, like, play in the World Championships, and... Oh, wow. Um, like, I was really into it, and my my group, there were four of us, got uh, playtest rights for the like two towers expansion stuff when that was coming out so like they printed the first three sets they were getting ready to do like the next three and they were looking for play testers and that was some of the most fun that i'd ever had playing a card game because at the time like the internet was a thing but it wasn't like super huge yet right Uh so like they would literally mail us updates right like we would get these like basically like fedex or ups packages with like cards that we were supposed to cut out and put in sleeves You know, they were just text, and then we would play them, and then we'd give them feedback. And, like, every time they would come in the mail, it was, like, Christmas, right? Because changes would be there, Um, and that was some of the most fun that I'd ever had. And then they ignored all of our feedback.
0: (laughs) That sucks, dude. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right? Like, we were like, hey, this Golem deck is going to be broken as all shit. You should totally do something about it. And they got printed as is, and then they had to errat it. it. But, like, seriously, that was... um, Like, that, and then there was a tabletop game that I was a playtester for for a while as well. Um, WizKids used to make Mage Knight and then, like, Hero Clicks and whatever, and when they did the Mage Knight version where they were like, okay, it was a tabletop, like, versus system, but they wanted to make it into, like, a dungeon crawler with, like, heroes and levels. Um, I got to playtest that as well, and it was the same thing. Like, they would mail us stuff in the mail, um, and then we would, like, unpack them and playtest and send stuff back, and I just... I just miss that, you know, like that idea of yeah. like playtesting seeing something cool before everybody else did, you know, working through design stuff.
0: I loved it. God, I'm glad that nobody at Direwolf listened to my playtest designs when I was in closed beta because I'm pretty sure my first complaint was about how overpowered Portcullis was. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God they knew that I did not know what I was talking about. Um, I will say uh Back to the uh, the like design balance philosophy type thing. Um, There is, I think, a third option, and and it may be just like maybe it's a false narrative that we've like I've become entrenched with because I am so in love with the Madhouse Collection and it was the first expansion to Legends. But I feel like the Madhouse Collection increased diversity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It expanded the card pool incredibly, like by an incredibly small amount. But I think it's possible. To release cards that are clear, like intentionally not synergistic with existing strategies, um, that might cr- do, even if they're not good enough to be at the top of the ladder, could create the uh, the illusion of diversity that, that we've been t- we've talked about before that would satisfy me greatly. Um, and I think that that is a road you could take, right? And even if it's just like one expansion a year, like one madhouse type, type, uh, sorry i'm reading chat even uh, if it's just like one set a year that's for that kind of guy who just wants to build the altar of despair deck or the close call combo deck i think you could do a lot of good for people's uh, enthusiasm for the game by just bypassing the the power creep question entirely by printing cards that no responsible person would put in an existing deck (laughs) and yeah
1: then it happens I, I mean, I'm with you. I really liked Madhouse. Like, looking back, there was so so many good things that weren't necessarily, like, meta-defining, but just right. just, just good enough, right, that, like, you right. still run into them, even now, like, every now and then. Um, yeah. I would like to see something more like that. I don't know how you do right. that with any
0: sort of, like, regularity, though, you know? No, no I mean, it, it was, it, you know, it might be just like that it was a Lightning in the bottle type thing. But I have to believe, given and and I have tremendous faith in the guys at Direwolf. I mean, both the pedigree of game designers and game players they have there, and the uh, enthusiasm I know they have for the game. Like I have to believe that they have those sorts of sets in them. I know they do because they've done it before, and I believe they could do it again. And it might be that like that's the most interesting way to the, the best way to keep the game the most interesting without, you know, by just bypassing the power creep question entirely. Like just do something new. Like you know, if sharpshooter scout, like if I print sharper shooter scout and it's a two one with prophecy that pings something for one, like I you know you could go that direction. People will buy the new set to get the new cards, and they will replace their sharpshooter scouts with sharper shooter scout. Or you could print a red card that does something that red has never done before, that no card in the game has ever done before, and doesn't immediately or perhaps ever fit into that prophecy deck that you're running. And I think that you'd create a more interesting game as a result
1: so let me let me pose the philosophical question then though of it might do something different right i see where you're coming from but if it's going to see play right compared to what already exists it has to either be on par with or even still slightly better than what exists though right otherwise people aren't going to play it so like how does the power creep factor in there right like you're if, yeah. if there are established cards and their their value, their worth has been, you know, right. measured and weighed and that's what the, the standard is. For something to, like, right. break into playing, it's got to at least yeah. be on par with or better than, which is why we have that, like, natural, in my opinion, like, unavoidable power creep just in general yeah. um, without, without set rotation. Now, set rotation does help combat power creep because things that might not have been playable in an old meta would be playable in a new one but for the most part like if you're just introducing new cards I think that's the real danger they could do something totally new and different but if it's still not like good enough if you will it's just going to like
0: fall by the wayside so I think that uh, the answer is sort of like rooted in math that I can't really articulate because I have like no analytical skills whatsoever but um, there's a you know it's like if we go back if if we're on the assumption that like in a smaller card pool, you're doing the 30 optimal cards, 20 sub-optimal cards in your 50 card deck, and then as the card pool expands, you're able to increase that number of optimal cards. Um, you, what you need to shoot for is a is a is a card pool in in your format that never um, never exceeds uh, a point where you're running 55 optimal cards, right? So yes, you're replacing your Gerald Forager, right, with sharper shooter scout, okay? And that's all right because you've moved from the first like the card pool is three hundred or whatever, uh, when, and and so you're running the twenty bet, the twenty suboptimal cards. The card pool is five hundred cards at the other end and you're up at a point where decks are running 45 or 50 optimal cards like you're going to be like on a trajectory of less diversity because there are certain decks that are just better as you move up that trajectory and then you reset at rotation back down to formats where people are running 30 optimal cards instead of 45 or 50 i think that you just have to move in that direction and you have to have a rotation or we're all just playing workshops and vintage what about cards that take
1: your suboptimal cards or even just outright bad cards and then adjust their value, right? Like I immediately think of, um, i mean, let's just talk about like tokens as an example, right? Like any one singular card, like in a vacuum from tokens for the most part, it's, it would be hard for us to look at any one of them and say like, this thing is broken, right? It's like the conglomeration of them together so you know what about printing cards that would make you say like okay this card was not played before you know what if we printed something that uh, I don't even know what it would be I'm just throwing hypotheticals right but what if we printed something that suddenly makes battle reeve dusk like all the rage just because of synergy Um, no I
0: mean that would be great that would be great I mean you could do that I mean the, the, the lazy easy answer is you can do that with tribal cards right um all you would need is like a, a card that increased the something, something of your Bretons in order to have a brand new archetype. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you're running a lot of Bretons already because they're, they're playable cards and constructed like, uh, Mage, I th- I think I assume is a Breton, um, or stuff like that. Uh, and if you suddenly have a card, like a sorcerer-specific card even, that says Bretons get plus one, plus one. When a Breton loses Ward, draw a card. I mean, that's broken as hell. But, like, uh, you create the opportunity to do something brand new. And I think that's a really good idea you had.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a preloaded question because in my mind, that's, you know, one of the cards that you and I keep saying that we love so much was Alter. And that's, yeah. Al- Alter was that card but for Last Gasp. So it wasn't Tribal. Yeah. but That's true. You know, like, it took all the stuff that, like, people kind of toyed with. You know, there was, you know, Last Gasp Assassin was floating around, but it didn't necessarily have the same legs that, like, the Alter deck did, right? Like, Alter took that and said all these things that were those, like, suboptimal borderline cards that would have been filled, and it said, okay, like, now these are right. fantastic. Um, so yeah. I think Tribal is definitely a place that you could do it. Um, yeah. But I think That's that there are... That's just
0: came immediately to mind
1: yeah no i mean it makes sense i mean the uh, the new high elves card or whatever right yeah uh, i get a lot of people who ask like hey how do i build a high elves deck and i just go yeah. you know i mean right. there's a card that says like hey this might be a direction that you could go but i just don't see enough synergy there yet so certainly you know yeah. tribal is a way that you can go you know outside of orcs and goblins there's not much like right. really tribally. I mean, I, I guess Legate is kind of getting there with Imperial. Um, yeah. You know, Ulfric with Nords. So, I mean, they're giving us some tools,
0: but... I agree. You know, that High Elf card's an interesting example of a, of, of, one of the, what we were talking about earlier, one of the rare cards that would be in a sideboard if we had sideboards. Because of the side... I mean, I know everybody forgets it has more text, let me clarify it. Because it says, you can't be damaged by actions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. I was just trying to think about like, what are cards that you might want to throw in a sideboard just because? I think Jack's one
0: of those cards. Yeah, Jack could be a great mirror breaker in like the, I mean, I, I imagine a Spell Sword Ramp versus Spell Sword Ramp deck. You know, turning their sixteen sixteen monthly reward card into a sharper shooter scout sounds like a good deal. Or just making their Parthenax not loop for the yeah. mirror. that's Stuff true. Like that. Oh. That's interesting. You know, the shout mechanic is a good example of of something that's not really... I mean, even though those cards don't do anything new except for the uh, Soltaire, you know, they do things that the game already did in different ways. Um, But those shouts were a good example of cards that weren't necessarily power creep. They were something different, something new. That created new synergies, and I think that if there are any like brand new deck ideas that came out of here as a Skyrim, there are things that involve exploiting shouts with um word walls and uh the graybeard mentor and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I said it already once during this uh this broadcast, but I still really want to find a way to make buried alive be a deck art type yeah. here you know yeah i mean that's really what i want we already have a little bit of the tools with the merchant's camel um but i just i need my ashen ghouls man soul tear just doesn't cut a defiler like i don't want reanimator i mean I, yeah. I i would play reanimator i loved playing reanimator too but i want like a true yeah. like buried alive you find this specific card because it just keeps coming back and you play the attrition game right you now
0: you know what we should do is we should give, <laughs> just thinking about this, Gerald Forager, Last Gasp, Destroy All Cards and All Discard Piles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just creating sideboard cards, which is not the direction we want to go, but it's C-Play. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting.
1: Should we open up the floor to some questions? Yeah, I think that it's a good time to do that um we can we can hit the question and answer portion
0: of the broadcast the interactive part now that you've suffered through the fun
1: (laughs) are arguably fun half fun justin fun
0: (laughs) justin's idea of fun is uh pretty absurd See, I think somebody asked a question earlier. Let me scroll up and see if I can grab that. It says, Tony266X writes, thoughts on Slay cards and their position? Uh, in my opinion, Slay Scout is a lot like Monk. Uh, like maybe a 33% of the time, you can do some pretty crazy stuff. Um, and uh, the other times you just get stomped in the face. Uh, if doing crazy stuff in the third of your games is what you're looking for, then Slay Scout's the place to go that's that's the place I live
1: <laughs> yeah I will say I appreciate what they were trying to do with the slay mechanic and that's that they yeah. were trying to give you an incentive for interacting with the board yeah so I agree. Um, you know whether or not it was executed properly who knows but I at least appreciated that they were saying like hey this is a game where like creatures fight each other you should do that yeah I agree
0: uh, and and as a follow-up um, Vol something asks how about slay warrior like rage uh, I think that of all the decks that are exploiting creatures with slay mechanics, I think that warrior is the best at it. I think I think uh, rage archer is pretty good too. Um, but I mean, it's not. I don't know. The slay mechanic is like like I think of uh, Brotherhood Sanctuary. You know, triggering the slay lord card. Yeah. And uh, you know, using unstoppable rage on a creature with slay is is great. But unstoppable rage combos with every creature in the game. So.
1: Not every creature. I have not once got a successful rage with my portcullis, no matter how OP it was in closed beta. Bro, I am
0: going to slap a ring of imaginary might and a zero-zero breakthrough improvised weapon onto a portcullis <laughs> and unstoppable rage you one day.
1: <laughs> I hope you do. Um, <laughs> scrolling way back because there was another question that I had saw and I remember in my head okay. going like, "Okay, I want to table that till we get to the Q and A part." Uh, yeah. Riri Barker. Uh, I hope I'm saying that properly, but I'm likely sluttering it. Uh, He asked, do we think that Legends would have a healthier meta if there was a pro scene or at least something close to it because then people are essentially being paid to solve the meta?
0: That's a good question.
1: What do you think, man? Uh, Ironically, I I scrolled up to find it, and then uh, he had retyped it. So... I'm not sure that it would necessarily make it healthier, I think that you would already see what we see. Now this is my own personal opinion, but I don't think that the ladder experience is the same as the tournament experience. In fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, from something like September or October of last year, so like we're going like a year ago, I remember talking about how Legends needed tournaments because it would promote deck diversity. And my, yeah. my argument was that, like, decks that are good in a tournament format, regardless of whether it's sideboard or regardless of whether it's, like, Last Hero Standing or Conquest, um, um, they're just different than what you want to take into a best-of-one random opponent on a ladder, right? Yeah. Like, on that, you're trying to hedge your bets against the majority of the field. Yeah. In a tournament, you kind of know, or at least usually, if you've done some research, what you would expect to see and your decks right. become more fine-tuned and more targeted. And if you start having high-profile tournaments and more regular tournaments, um, what happens is you get this cascade effect where you get people that want to prepare for the tournament and they don't want to go into it blind, so unless you have like a dedicated, like I play casuals against you know my playtesting partner, and those do exist, right? But yeah. outside of those, you'll get people who will take decks onto the ladder even if it's casual or whatever to kind of test them out get the feel of things so you get a little bit of a trickle down there and then you'll also get people who see a high profile tournament right because we see this in magic all the time and somebody goes oh i like that deck or i like his version better and then they copy it and then you start to see those on the meta right but that doesn't happen naturally on the ladder itself because like i said the ladder is a completely different format you have to say what's my you know what's my best chance to win against just, like, the widest, you know, version of the field over time? Because that's, you know, like, you know, you can say, like, okay, I'm going to play Control Mage because maybe I'm seeing, like, 50% tokens, and I'll just auto-concede against Scout. Doesn't matter because I'm just going to queue to the next game. It's all about time spent on the ladder and what is the, uh, you know the the best win rate that i can get and like that doesn't happen in tournaments right you're never going to play a deck in a tournament where you're like well if i see this i auto concede like that's asinine so that's my my personal opinion but i think that like i think that tournaments do influence things um but i don't think that like getting suddenly because people are paid to solve them that it changes i think that it's already happening it's just that we don't have enough tournaments right now to see the the trickle down i think that it's a frequency thing
0: I agree. I agree. Um Yeah. Say that really well. Uh let's see here. Next question. Um going through here. Thoughts on super high costed prophecies that would be swingy when procced but not very good elsewhere. Like uh dank harvester. But bigger. <laughs> and more harvester-y. Jesus, this just goes on. <laughs> oh, uh, Dark Harvester is hilarious because it combos with uh, Unstable, I'm blanking right now. Desperate Conjuring. <laughs> Desperate Conjuring. I forgot the name of that card last week, too. Uh, you know, well, I mean, you already have some stuff like that They're just not played, right? Like uh, Lurking Mummy is a 2-6 with guard that if you hit off your first rune prophecy you could like go 3 for 1 against an, an aggressive opponent um, but people don't play it because it is awful to play on curve people don't play dark- it because execute and grizzly gourmet yeah. exist right that that's part <laughs> of it too. when a 1 mana removal spell trades with your 6 drop like get out of town um, dark harvester sees any play at all because of the life gain um I don't know. I like defensive prophecies more than I like uh, potentially aggressive ones. So, you know, I'm more in all, in in line with playing Dank Harvester <laughs> than I am in playing uh, the Prophecy 4-4 Dragon. And I prefer my prophecies to be reactive cards and not proactive ones. But, uh, I don't know. I'm leery of printing any more prophecy cards. Because I think just like when we were talking about the difference between 30 optimal cards and 45 optimal cards in your deck, there is a threshold past which too many playable Prophecy cards, I think, would change the game in a way that would make it a lot less fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I've, I know I've talked about it a bit, uh, you know, in my Forge videos, but I would just like to see, if we do see more Prophecy cards, I would like to see ones that are conditional. Ones that say you know do this effect and if played on your turn then do something like bonus so that if you get it like reactive it's like okay do i need to get this shackle to not die good otherwise maybe i put it back in my hand for the greedier play later i'd love to see stuff like that that introduces more micro decisions
0: i agree i think that you see a hint of that in the blue card from heroes of skyrim with prophecy like the one prophecy card that's blue that doesn't see any play um, that, uh, it's like five magicka for a two, three or whatever. And it says, uh, if an opponent drew a card, this turn draw a card. I like stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that one's, I think that one doesn't get played because it's like cost prohibitive. And also, cause I think potentially some players don't understand that you're always going to draw a card, at least one, like it's a mm-hmm. draw a card with only upside. I think mm-hmm. the wording confuses people personally, but if yeah. you're breaking a rune, um, right. then they've drawn a card, right? So, right. yeah. Yep. Um, I know that earlier we had... Uh, Heatfire was asking... I believe it was Heatfire. I'm trying to scroll back up now. Somebody was asking if I thought that the Ring of Magica needed nerfed, and I don't, I don't know if that's like a... <laughs> I, I, can't
0: tell, I can't tell if they're fucking with you or not. Yeah, yeah. I was going
1: to say, I don't know if that's like a, a troll thing or not, or if you just <laughs> no, haven't watched no. the other episodes, but... Um, yeah. I think it needs buffed. Uh, historic, <laughs> historically, my data since mid-December of last year shows that I have a higher win rate when going first over going second. Um, when Turquoise tracked his wins and losses for 200 games, he had a higher win rate going first over second. Uh, yeah. Ecstasy, the guy who does like the deck tracker and feeds all the stats back to him, says that there's like marginal, if any, difference between the two of going first or going second, but my personal... Yeah. Uh, Stats. Uh, Even so far this season, uh, Justin and I were actually talking before we went live. Um, Even this season, I have a higher win rate going first versus going second. And even with mid-range ducks, like I am undefeated so far this season on Orcs going first. Um, I don't know why. I think, uh, you know, we talked about it in a previous episode. I think that the ring gets a lot of negative uh, hate because it's... Tangible and physical and you see it and you feel the weight when it's activated and you don't feel the weight of the advantage You have on your other turns and unlike other games like magic I'm trying to do the too-long-didn't-read version unlike other games like magic (laughs) um, You know in magic you roll a die or do whatever to see who goes first Uh, Somebody chooses play versus draw and then it's never revisited again, right? Like it's almost an afterthought I can't remember a time where I lost the game in magic and went I lost that because I went first or I went second because it only right. matters when you roll the die. This is one of the few games where you're reminded on multiple yeah. occasions whether or not you went first or second, and I think that that plays with people's psyche. Um, but I, my I, stats since mid December show a higher win rate going first. So
0: yeah, yeah, I have to I have to echo what you're saying. Um, you know, we like I, I've been tracking my my games with your data. This season, I've played uh, Alter Mage. I have played Orc Aggro. I have played. Rage, Warrior, Ramp, Slay, Reanimator, Night talent thing. And I've played, uh what was the other deck? Pilfer Monk. It doesn't matter what I play, every single one of them, my win rate is higher without the ring.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny because before I tracked my games, I would have swore to you that I won more with the ring. You know? Yeah. But.
0: I agree. That's just, I mean, yeah. that's just what our numbers are. Of course, like, you know. Your mileage may vary based on what you're playing. There are some decks that do excel with the Ring of Magica, But decks that I even was convinced would work better with the Ring of Magica are not working better with the Ring of Magica. And I'm a guy who builds decks without like any two drops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, needs, who needs two drops? I know, man. Like, it's a draw-go good, meta. Like, yeah, they're getting in the, in the way of my ridiculous cards. Lurker Frag makes an interesting point in uh, chat. It says aggro battle mage prophecy can run seventy eight percent prophecies, and they're all decent to average on curve, and it's fringe playable. I think part of the problem isn't necessarily so much what. No, it could be a problem. What it is actually doing to the meta? I think the problem with prophecy battle mage specifically is that it feels like it's it it feels bad. That's that's my opinion. I just think playing against prophecy battle mage feels
1: bad. I think it depends on the deck cuz there are sometimes like depending on the deck I'm playing, I queue in a prophecy yeah. battle mage and I'm literally like all right, I got to put on my big boy pants. You know, we're going to yeah. have to break runes sparingly. I'm going to have to, you know, meter this out. And then there are other games where I'm just like Hooray! Yeah. Free win,
0: right? Like, because you just know right. that they're going to stall. Um, right. your, op- your opening hand is three uh, Dawnstar healers, and you're just ready to go to town.
1: Yeah, or, you know, you're playing, like, Control Mage, and your opening hand is, like, two Firebolts and, you right, know, right. a Daggerfall or something.
0: But I agree. Um, there are definitely matches like that. I like Prophecy Battle Mage, too, because it does a great job of stomping on other potentially aggressive decks. See. It's interesting to
1: me because I would agree with you that in many ways it does feel bad to play against and lose uh, Prophecy Battle Mage, but to its benefit, I think that playing against Prophecy Battle Mage highlights to me one of the best feelings about this game. Even though it feels bad when you lose to it, but I also always say that I hate losing more than I like winning. Um, <laughs> it's so healthy, man. <laughs> I, well, I know, right? But, like there's that there's that like anticipation of like all right i have to break a rune now let's see how bad it is right like there's that moment where you just ever so slightly ever so briefly like hold your breath like what am i in for and there are certainly games where like i lose that feeling like when i play against ramp scout like i don't even think like they run prophecies anymore right like it's just i feel like i'm playing hearthstone i'm just going face full time yeah Um, that's how you beat that deck i mean that's how you beat that deck right but like yeah. Prophecy Battle Mage at least lets me re- you know, be reminded of like one of the things that makes legends great, which is That's like true. you know, it's not blind face and it's not like can I outrace the other person? Like I do have to think about do I you know is this two damage worth breaking the rune? Yeah. So
0: No, I, I, I agree with you. Uh <laughs> and it's certainly like back when everybody was running Moonlight Werebat, that still, to me, is the most soul-crushing thing that can come out of a prophecy, <laughs> and so like it's not as bad as that experience was. But uh, I don't you know, know. Have you ever like, have you ever been playing
1: tokens without like a divine fervor on the board, and somebody hits Gratwush, uh, Gratwood Gratwood uh,
0: Ambusher? I can honestly say that's never happened to me. The minute that like Gratwood Ambusher actually does what it's supposed to do, which is clear a lane of of weak creatures, to me i will uh stop making fun of that card but i've been making fun of that card for about 14 months now and i'm gonna keep it up
1: <laughs> oh man it has wrecked me severely in a couple of uh
0: has it really oh yeah. Like, oh, shit, not... <laughs> that's funny no that's not happened to me um i'm sure it's happened one or two times in the history of the game <laughs> so i know it's a small sample size
1: but Somebody was saying uh, that I can't deny Ramp Scout gives uh, gets an advantage having the ring. Uh, I can yeah. tell you that last season I went seven and one going first and six and six going second on Ramp Scout. Small sample yeah. size, but uh, yeah. that one was certainly streaky. And I'm sure I could go back. I, I archive all my data, so like it's always available, but Yeah. Yes, I can deny also, well, somebody asked if you stream, and then I thought somebody said wow. yes
0: in chat, and so I want to uh, correct really? that. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. No, I don't stream, man. I, I connect through the inter- to the internet through an Etch a Sketch, actually, plugged into a potato, and uh, as a result, I don't have the ability to stream. I've tried a couple times, uh, but I'll be moving some point in the uh, relatively near future to a place with uh, better internet. <laughs> I live, I live right in the foothills of uh, the Rocky Mountains uh, on the outskirts of Denver, and uh, it's. A relatively new neighborhood that just has one internet service provider and they don't offer anything that would let me stream
1: yeah heavens help us when you can stream with any sort of regularity like i'll just quit (laughs) i'll just quit making content and i'll just come watch you because like why even try at that point you know
0: well as far as i know i can't be shirtless on stream which is going to put a serious crimp in my style (laughs) you just
1: have to like zoom your camera up like, I've, I'm, oh, yeah. just like, sweating right now. It's, like, super hot in my basement for some unknown reason. Yeah. I think um, it's humidity or something, but, like,
0: I... Yeah. You can just zoom in. It is really sweaty here, actually, too. Or it's really sweaty. Jeez, I sound like an idiot. It's really humid here, too, which is crazy because usually it's super dry here, but, like, I'm, I'm sweating right now.
1: Yeah. It's the pressure of this rapid-fire Q&A, man.
0: It is. Uh Heatfire Ashrite's 3 health Warbat was so good. I agree. Did you know there was a time when we thought that uh Moonlight Warbat with 3 health was not good? Because I remember when I first started running that card in Scout uh and people were like <laughs> like but it's too slow, you could never play it on curve. And I'm like, uh yeah, but you win the game if you hit it on your first turn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think
1: back to the things that we did, like end of closed beta, uh, early open beta, right? And the things, Yeah. Yeah. like I remember when Belligerent Giant just didn't see play. Oh, yeah. Like for like six months. Like it's not like it was the first month and then people figured it out. Like legitimately, I don't remember seeing that with any regularity until like November, December-ish almost. Like it started to creep up, but it was not a staple. Uh, And that was pre-nerf, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that one stands out. So does uh, Dawnstar Healer and Cloud Resolutionist as cards that didn't see play in 2016 at all. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, Night Shadow. I mean, it, it's still kind of a fringe card, but it saw no play for a long time and, and sees more play now than it ever did before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that one needed Unstoppable Rage to really like yeah. push it over. By itself, I think... Mean, I think it was kind of suspect, but no, like yeah, I just, I just think about, um, you know, part of it was just because the power level of other cards used to push things out, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard, it's hard, for example, to like warrant playing Breit and Conjurer in like a Merrick Battle Mage deck back when like Crystal Tower Crafter used to be a 2-2. Like, do That's you remember, true. do you remember when Merrick Battle Mage? They used to run Crystal Tower Crafter and uh, like Dank Rift <laughs> just yeah, because of how, how broken they were. Yeah, absolutely. Oh.
0: Yeah, that and... um, God, I'm imagining the nightmarish world we would be living in if uh, Gladiator's Arena still cost three. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or if Nacreen was never destroyed.
0: Or Nacreen. You know, I heard he killed himself. Yeah, I heard he did too, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a sad way to go.
1: Really, Alduin killed him from the future.
0: <laughs> is that what happened?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. That's the only reason that guy got the nerf. Because you can't have old Naukreen in a world that Alduin exists, so... That's true. Alduin, that's true. Alduin is the Terminator. Like, he came from the future to kill Damn. John Connor, and John Damn. Connor was Naukreen.
0: Damn. This... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have anything sarcastic to say about that. That's just perfect. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean it's it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see, I got some more questions here. When will we get another Charmer versus Justin theme match? That's a good point, man. We should do something like that. We I feel like uh I'm kind of spent on the creatureless challenge right now. We should come up with something else.
1: Ray Ray suggests Popper. Um I'm okay with that. I know that they're yeah, gonna I'll do a do popper it. tournament soon, and I drew up a deck list on like really? the premise of like, hey, if I were ever gonna play in that, what would I yeah. play? So... All right, so
0: let's let's issue a challenge to each other right now. We'll we'll, uh, we'll play these games on on next Friday. All right. All right. What uh, What are the rules? What are the rules? I mean, popper rules is just
1: uh, your decks have to be uh, only commons and rares, so no epics, no legends.
0: Commons and rares. Okay. How many decks we bring in? Uh. I don't know how many do you want to bring. No. <laughs> <Three. laughs> let's go. With,
1: let's go with three. Let's go with three.
0: <laughs> three sounds good. That's what we've done in the uh, with the Dwemer challenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I- my ass in and the uh, the creatureless challenge where I got my revenge.
1: You didn't get your revenge. Flesh sculpture got the revenge. I'm still salty about that. That's why we haven't had a feature match. Look, man, I was technically correct,
0: which is the best kind of correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you weren't wrong, but. <laughs> Not Kreen, by the way. For those of you asking, has been changed several times, and I can't remember at this point what changes were in beta- closed beta, and what were in open beta. So I kind of hesitate to answer that question.
1: Open, open beta. The thing that made him go from like auto include in control decks to destroyed, nerfed into oblivion. Um, He used to cost ten and his text read draw a card and then the next card you play this turn is free Now that's different from his current text because it's not that the card you drew was reduced It was any card you had in your hand now at the time when they nerfed him They didn't give us specifics. They just said it was limiting future design space And we had to take him on face value We now know at a minimum that Alduin exists now there might even be more stuff in the future but Alduin exists and I can't imagine a world where Control Mage got to like with the ring on turn nine, play Nacreen yeah. to draw a card, and then play Alduin from their hand for free, because yeah. that is like I mean that's that's turns before Odoving with a better effect and higher upside, right? Like you you couldn't right. let that get printed
0: that way. Yeah, Nacreen into Odoving was backbreaking. Yeah, um, Nacreen into Alduin would be. I just to, yeah. I actually like phased out faded out there for a second thinking about what would happen to me if that had happened to me while I was playing. I just be like, oh man. Yeah, no, you'd be so mad, so <laughs> my empathy got to me there.
1: Yeah. So it's just uh yeah, that's why Alduin is the Terminator. He came from the future to like the past it. to kill John Connor, not
0: Green. Yeah. Um That's what's up. I'll find out, uh, and, and somebody remind me of this one for the next podcast, because there was another change to Nakreen but I can't remember, I think it was in closed beta. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the Nakreen change came before I got in. Okay. I All
1: came right. into to the closed beta, like, just after the round of nerfs to orcs in the closed okay. beta.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. All right, then. Because if, if right, you guys, guys don't remember,
1: like, <laughs> orcs used to be broken in closed beta. Like, yeah. way worse.
0: Easily the best deck.
1: Um, There was also a time, like, when Firebolt used to go face, let you lose sleep over that one for
0: a bit. You know, in closed beta, I won a game. I was playing Action Mage, and my opponent was at four, and my hand was Firebolt, and I was going to die next turn. And I, I, I Firebolted myself, triggered a Prophecy, Lightning bolted my opponent. (laughs) Yeah. I lived the dream.
1: I've done that with a crushing blow before. One time on Control Mage. It was like the only out, and I was just like, alright, well, we were just going to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, why not? When it's your only out. Oh... This is a good show, man. We've done well
1: tonight, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we went on a couple of tangents pretty hard, but that's my fault. No, no, no. It's both of us. We both like to talk. (laughs) I mean, I'll talk about, like, Decipher card games for forever because I stand by it. Like, they had great ideas and good
0: design mechanics, and they just sucked at business. See, I never really understood how to play the Star Trek game. I just, my parents bought them for me, and I, I was a witty little child when I won that competition. And then, like, a year or two later, I was, you know, like, literally on the streets doing dope.
1: <laughs> well, it's probably because the game failed, right? Like, I directly blame Decipher, like, folding up for your yeah. spiral into poor
0: decision-making. I think I I, think I need to file a class-action lawsuit. Who, who else here got addicted to heroin because of that Star Trek card game?
1: <laughs> oh. I mean, I remember, like, I... I was a straight and narrow kid, and then they, like, basically destroyed the Lord of the Rings Decipher card game, and I stopped going to tournaments, and I started drinking and chasing Tails. So, uh, basically, yeah. it had nothing to do with me hitting my teenage years uh, and everything right. to do with Decipher.
0: <laughs> yeah. Frag writes, the Star Wars CCG drove me to drinking. Man, you and Charmer should start a club.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We used to have this one guy where I worked who, uh, we literally called him Star Wars Russ because he was like, he would love to get people to play the game like brand new and then like let them buy like the starter deck. And then he would play like his equivalent of like the all legendary deck. Like it was all unique, like Luke's invaders and just crush them
0: what an asshole Ty. yeah he really he really <laughs>
1: was like like looking back we were like oh that's just Star Wars or us. but the truth is like he was just like crushing little kids and making sure they never played the game again
0: this is why we can't have nice things yeah that's funny <laughs> oh thanks uh, Romanesque. I appreciate it dude <laughs> I just trimmed my beard I think Justin looks good every day Aw oh, you too charmer <laughs> Oh. Pro Yu-Gi-Oh! player I knew would use Adderall before events. Yeah. I mean,
1: I can see it. <laughs> I mean, I used to use the heart of the cards.
0: Get out of here, man. Get get out of here. <laughs> you Actually, to you know, it's funny.
1: As many card games as I've played, and I've played a lot, I have never yeah. played Yu-Gi-Oh! Not once. I don't. I never played Yu-Gi-Oh! either. <laughs> like, I played I played Pokemon, I played Harry Potter, I played, like, all yeah. the stuff that would have been considered, like, kids' games back when I played. Um, yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! was the only one that I never did. And I don't even know why, looking back. it just never never made it.
0: You know that uh, the Pokemon Online card game uh, is run by Direwolf?
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, I, uh... <clears throat> So my niece was really into Pokemon a year ago, and I not having children of my own, she's nine. Um, I didn't know that like by the time I learned how to play Pokemon so I could play with her, like she'd already be on the next thing yeah. like these little these little shopkins toys, which <laughs> is like, it's like disgusting worship of commercialism, but anyway, so I I, I downloaded the Pokemon client because I was like I want to learn how to play Pokemon, so I can be a cool uncle and uh, yeah. They run. They do something with. They don't create the cards, but they. They. I think they run the, the online version or something like that.
1: I mean that's solid. Makes me want to yeah. play Pokemon now. Brand
0: loyalty. Yeah. And that game had some, just like stupidly broken cards. Like ancestral recall is a the thing there. I'd believe it. Yeah. <sighs> All right. All right. Yeah. I think we're.
1: <laughs> I think we're gonna wrap it there. Like I'm still. I'm still going to play some games after this, but yeah. for the podcast, I think I think we ran our course. We're, like, two hours in. It seems to be about what we do now. Yeah.
0: I love how we're aiming for fifty minutes every week. Yeah, every
1: week. For those of you who don't know, like, we have talks <laughs> through the week, like, hey, what do you want to talk about? Like, where are we going to aim for? Um, yeah. We routinely say we're going to shoot for under an hour. And, yep. uh, nope, we're just, every week will be part one and part two in podcast form. Like, at that point, like, we're just committed, so...
0: Mhm. That's, that's how we do it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, lurker frag uh, about mid-range battle mage. Look, any excuse to play battle mage's onslaught is a good good excuse. Um. But uh I
1: don't know. If you want to play mid-range battle mage and have fun doing it, play orc battle mage. Basically, take the red package from orcs and throw lightning bolts in it and battle <laughs> maces in it. And, uh, I mean, you're laughing, but I totally did it and it works exactly the way you think it does. So this is a good opportunity to dust off those dank harvesters too. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we're going to stop the old recording portion. I'll probably take a short break and we will uh, see you guys next week. We appreciate everybody stopping by, hanging out, throwing questions. If there's something you want to hear us talk about next week, you know how to reach us hopefully. Twitter, Facebook,
0: Smoke Signals. Yeah, Smoke Signals are good. Hey, uh, I hate to pin myself out like this, but I never do this. I'm going to type my my YouTube channel in here. If you aren't familiar with me, go ahead and check that out. You don't have to subscribe or anything. It's just something to do if you're bored. (laughs) No, I mean, you should subscribe. It's mandatory. Don't come (laughs) back.
1: Don't come back if you aren't subscribed to the Justin Larson. Yep. Yeah, you should pimp that out every week. I should set up a command for
0: the podcast, actually. Yeah, I can barely type, man. So, like, it's only going to happen once a podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I was was thinking that, like, if I set up a command, then you could just type the command and it'll, like, auto-throw it out for you. Right on. You know, I put your information in the video descriptions when I throw those up, but we should do that for the live.
0: You know, last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, at some point in the last couple episodes, I actually banned someone from chat just because I thought it'd have a cool message like Justin Larson banned you. Now I didn't say shit, so like I unbanned him right away and I apologized to him.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like, uh, hey, hey, you, fuck you, like that's. Yeah, I was pretty pretty bummed out by that man. Yeah. So yeah, all right, everybody. Thank you. That's about it. We'll see you next week. See y'all on the ladder. <laughs>